This is Daniel Fagellin. You're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is our Making the Business Case episode. Every Tuesday, we cover use cases. Every Thursday, we talk about the ROI of AI and the realistic considerations for deploying AI in the enterprise. We speak this week with Derek Choi, who's the co-founder and COO of a company called Octana. Octana offers uh, sales and marketing AI-based solution into the pharmaceutical space. This is a company that has developed a solution in a part of the pharma ecosystem that frankly doesn't have that much AI attention. Rather complicated use case, rather different than the way that companies are running their marketing and sales operations now. So how do you make an AI product work when you're not just one of many, but you really are changing the game? What are some of those hurdles you have to overcome and what are those some opportunities you can kind of grab hold of as you're bringing a brand new type of product to market? If you're a vendor, you're going to want to listen to this episode. And if you're an enterprise leader that's maybe considering spinning out an AI product or even picking what AI vendor you might want to work with, these realistic challenges are things you're going to want to bear in mind in making those decisions and making them hopefully with a greater degree of context and a greater likelihood of success. I really do appreciate Derek sharing some of his journey, some of his hard lessons learned in making AI work for novel and new use cases. If you're getting started with deploying AI in your business uh, or in your enterprise, or you wanna help your clients deploy artificial intelligence, you can download our Beginning with AI guide. It's three critical insights for non-technical professionals. If you don't write code, but you really wanna understand core fundamentals about what it takes to apply AI in an enterprise context, Go to emerj.com slash beg1 and you can download our free PDF brief on exactly that topic. It's called Beginning with AI, Three Key Insights for Non-Technical Professionals. And again, that's emerj.com slash beg and then the number one. That's beg like beginning and then the number one. If you're looking for more context on exactly this topic and taking some of these insights to the next level, hopefully that resource will be helpful for you. But without further ado, we're going to fly into this episode with Derek Choi of Octana here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Derek, we're going to talk about making the business case. And you guys are in the life sciences domain, obviously a world that's that's certainly not, not new to investing in ML now. When you kind of go about explaining to a customer or a client what's different about deploying an AI system like the the one that, that you folks offer versus sort of traditional IT, what are those key distinctions that are really important to be frank about and honest about that that make the the adoption deployment considerating uh, a little bit different? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I guess the first thing I think this is something everyone probably already knows is the importance of data. And what that means is the ability to and it's not just the importance of having access to data that's available one off, but having it ready for it to be used for scalable AI applications. And this means having it in a you know the right format and kind of unified, but also having it so that it updates and it's updated frequently enough to be able to then be used to update models that you create. So I think that's a really big thing. And the readiness of a company does they need to understand that that's a heavy lift. One of the things that you know, we've been focused on as a company to help our customers with this is understanding that there's a possibility that, you know, the more you try to have your data be ready to not only build machine learning on, but actually have that same data set be the same data and structure you're then going to test and then deploy this model in production on, the easier it gets. And I think that's something that we really help our customers with. And we, we try to push them towards, which is thinking about rather than taking data that might lead you to a better theoretically optimal or better prediction, but is harder to integrate and therefore harder to uh, maintain, 
trying to focus on getting the subset of data that you can actually pull into a data warehouse and be able to then run your AI on top of and do that in production, that is actually going to be more valuable than focusing too much on the ideal ones that are just more sparse and maybe not as easy to integrate. That's one aspect. Yeah, yeah. And that might even be a little bit different customer to customer, but certainly, yes, the data considerations are going to be a big part of the mix. And uh, there's so much hands-on guidance from vendor companies like yourselves to mm-hmm. sort of take that into account. What else is a little bit different? You know, they've got to have their data house in order, and obviously they'll usually need a yep. bit of guidance from you. What are some of these other ingredients? Yeah, I mean, you definitely need um, the right kind of focus on people and change management. This is something that I think we've learned over the years is so critical. There's so much complexity and there's so much going on here that you actually need to make sure that the organization is ready for the change that's going to happen. And so what this means, what we found is the companies that are most successful are the ones where all the way from the top, right, kind of from at the executive level, they're dedicated to and they're, they're willing to undergo the change that's required. In the life science industry, it means a commercial organization, their brand strategy development is going to change. The way they manage content is going to change because the content needs to be more real time. It needs to be tagged in the right way. Uh, regulatory needs to be willing maybe to, to move in a different way so they don't slow down kind of what's happening. Sales operations are going to change. Marketing operations, training the sales representatives. They get trained on different things. And the sales reps themselves, as well as the sales management, will need to adopt different tools. And if that's going to happen, you need that buy-in all the way from the top. But also, you need that buy-in from the lowest level as well. So you need you know, that the top-down support as well as the local buy-in so that that change is not just something that is talked about, but it's actually something that people adopt and continue to engage with. And I think that ties back to another aspect of why I think is different with AI solutions is they're not set up once and then done. You know, what we've found and what we do in terms of recommendations is you have the strategy that you set up within your AI engine, and that's a setup phase. But then over time, you're learning all the time. The strategy is changing. The market is changing. You're looking at things that are working and you are looking at things that are not working and you're adjusting kind of what the engine is doing. And that requires kind of an ongoing kind of um, maintenance as well as support evolution, which, you know, might not be as, um, and you have to plan for that. You have to get like the, all the right people involved and it might not be as um, prevalent when looking at just standard IT solutions. Yeah. I mean, all three of those, I will say, are relevant in every single industry. And I'm sure you can imagine that, Derek, from oil and gas to financial services, the the data considerations, the change management, kind of cultural, you know, willingness considerations, especially, you mentioned regulatory, obviously finance has plenty of that. And then the sort of the, the considerations around ongoing maintenance, upkeep, iteration, you know, prevention of yep. algorithmic drift, uh, adjusting to reality. These are new. These are different. And I feel, you know, that for executives who are not aware of this, that, that sort of presume that AI is just IT. We're just going to plug it in just like we did with Salesforce, just like we did with HubSpot, mm-hmm. just like we did with whatever. All of this comes as a big surprise and a big unpleasant surprise as opposed to a natural part of kind of beginning to get to the next level when it comes to solutions for their company. Obviously, I'm not saying AI is always the right move to adopt, but I think with the right expectations, people would be in a better place to make a smart decision. When you think about how to frame these, well, we could we could call them new challenges, new considerations. How do we frame these new challenges and new considerations to make sure that you know we're, we're sort of educating these buyers as we're, we're moving in with them because they may not know that this is what AI requires, but we may need to say, look, this is what it is, but here's why it's actually a good thing. How do we kind of make that argument for folks that don't quite get it yet? 
Yeah, it's a really important aspect of obviously being able to convince all the stakeholders you need to be able to have that buy-in. As I mentioned, that buy-in is really critical all the way from the top. And you have to focus on what they care about. And I think, you know, what we've learned is we have to focus on ultimately what the business outcomes and the impact you're hoping to have are and making sure you're defining that all the way from the start. But then also making sure that you break that down to kind of some different indicators that you can use to help drive towards that. And I think, you know, if in the world of commercial operations and kind of trying to optimize sales and marketing, the ultimate outcome that you're trying to help is in terms of sales, you would focus on how can we show that there's going to be sales impact in here, but then also being very clear about why you're going to see it and being clear that some of it is going to come directly from the use of, you know, the intelligence itself, the AI providing better decisions that someone's going to act on. Some of it is actually going to come more indirectly because you're going to be having decision makers think and act in a different way than they did before. They're going to be more data-driven. Even if the recommendation that you make to someone is to do X, but they look at it and they say, you know what, I'm going to do Y, that thoughtful decision is actually different than what they may have done before. And that may lead to them. And by the way, that, if you close the loop, may also lead to your recommendations getting better because you see that someone took a different action you recommended and then you learn that that actually leads to a better outcome. Because I think when you think about impact from AI, you do have the direct impact, which is when you have a better AI-driven uh, recommendation be adopted. And obviously, that is one one place where you're going to be driving different behavior. And I think that type of indirect impact, um, the fact that people are paying attention to data, they're questioning things, they're kind of engaging with systems rather than just um, having them be something that they input into, uh, things into, that actually is an indirect benefit that you have to quantify for someone as you're thinking about executives. Yeah, we, we think about that, Derek, as, well, it, we, we sort of break down ROI into three ways. There's measurable ROI, which is often tied to something financial or something that proxies to something mm-hmm. financial, strategic ROI, and then also capability ROI. So the new capabilities we need to build, i.e. cross-functional teams, i.e. better data infrastructure, those things can, we, we want to be able to frame our deployment so that the necessary capability building has spin-out benefits and prepares us better for the future in general. And it sounds like you're trying to do that with the cross-functional team thing. And I think that that's, it's very smart. I think that, you know, these are seen as hurdles by executives, unless you can frame it in a better way. Are you also able to do that with data? So so you folks have to get your hands on data and infrastructure and make sure that's clean. Are you also finding, is it possible in your case anyway, to find a way to frame that overhauling and rethinking of, of how our data is sorted, cleaned, harmonized, as having kind of spin out future positive enablements for the company beyond just the expense of getting your your system started. Absolutely. And I think uh, the way that we try to do this is, number one, recognize that when you are making the investment in the data to be able to power an AI system like what we offer, there's the benefit you directly get when it comes to using it to be able to drive that specific use case. But then there's also the benefit that you can then start using that data for other use cases. And really it's recognizing that, um, in some ways we think about this as like a second order data. I mean, one of the things that happens is you leverage data and ask, uh, into a recommendation engine, and then you, that ends up providing you with a new set of data, which is how is that data used to drive a use case or a particular type of, uh, let's say a strategy? And was that strategy effective with that customer? And that second, type of data that's created in terms of the customer's responsiveness to a particular uh, tactic or a particular type of strategy, that data is potentially even more valuable than the initial data. 
And I think if, if customers can start realizing, oh, companies can start realizing that the initial data, it builds on itself, you can learn second order things from it, and then they start capturing that and integrating it back, there's a whole nother set of um, value that can be kind of associated with it. Cool. Yeah. And again, you know, we've got to take the things that are that are hurdles that are seen as challenges and, and sort of frame how they're actually modernizing, improving, mm-hmm. uh, you know, helping the company move forward. Any last closing notes, Derek, things for you that when it comes to really making the business case, you know, getting to yes, for lack of better terms, when it comes to an AI solution, that really for you is important. You've talked about some great points. I love this capability focus. And I think it's awesome that you folks are are really conscious about making that part of your presentation, because I think it has to be. I think that's a very mature thing. Any other little notes about, you know, what's critical for, for sort of framing this the right way and, and getting, you know, getting to a pilot or a deployment? Yeah, I think it's setting the expectations the right way, all the way from the start. That when it, when you're gonna leverage AI, you're gonna want to leverage the best when it comes to technology with the best when it comes to human intelligence, and um, there's always a human factor to it. I think that's been pretty critical for us as a business, and because of how we position ourselves and have credibility with our customers. That when you're gonna leverage an AI solution, it's it's great that you can come up with the best you know algorithms and machine learning models and optimization, but you're gonna need to associate that as well with the best input for the rules and constraints that you're going to set from the experts that you have, but also you're going to need the to focus on that change management and adoption from the end users and those people that will be managing the program. But also you're going to need to focus on the element of what the all the players and what the company needs to, what all the stakeholders need to be able to do to be able to manage this at scale. And I think if you set those expectations up front and then you also associate that with that impact they're going to get, and you can see the uh, you're very clear and transparent about the ROI not just being about the cost of the the data, the cost of the technology, but the ROI and the cost element needs to include kind of the human aspects to managing that change. And if you can still demonstrate that when those things all add up, you're still going to get the impact that you're looking for and you still have a huge ROI, that's when that transparency really helps people have credibility that this can actually transform an organization. I like it. I think that's that's really the only way to to grow one of these very hands-on sort of AI solution firms at at scale. I think that companies like yours, Derek, you know, whether it be the the bespoke AI consultants who know what they're doing or the vendors that have a lot of experience and have learned a lot of very hard lessons, as I'm sure you have, um, it's it's really you folks and, again, the people selling these services to some degree who are going to, I guess I could call it your pitch, is actually part of what's necess- it's necessary education for the C-suite to, to think about and, like you said, set the right expectations about what AI is. So it's, it's sort of part of leveling up their smarts at the same time. And I, I think that's a, a pretty cool win-win. I like the way you worded it. Derek, I know we're up on time for this one, but I sincerely appreciate you jumping on and getting into one of these Making the Business Case episodes with us. It's been great to have you on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I appreciate you joining us. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure to stay tuned on social. You can find us at at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter or at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook. And you can get all of our latest infographics, our latest articles, 
and our latest episodes of this podcast, the AI and Business Podcast, and our other show called the AI and Financial Services Podcast. If you're interested in banking, insurance, financial services broadly, be sure to stay tuned for that podcast as well. If you're not already subscribed, you can search AI in Financial Services on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or SoundCloud, and you can subscribe to us there as well and stay tuned for that show. But otherwise, I do hope you stay engaged on social. Our Twitter following has really grown since I've started mentioning social at the end of the podcast, and it's been great to hear some of the comments and see some of the engagement from some of our longtime listeners on social as well. I really do appreciate you. Great to have you as part of the community. We'd love to pull you into the broader conversation on social too. I'm often creating lengthy threads on Twitter and LinkedIn where we have some of our listeners and subscribers chime in with some of their ideas, and maybe you could be part of that conversation. So uh, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Otherwise, you'll catch us here next Tuesday for our use case episode on the AI and Business Podcast, and I look forward to catching you then.